Welcome to Call to War video briefing number 10. Thank you for joining us. And I'm asking if you would join me in prayer and ask the, the Lord to speak to us today and speak through us, that give us ears to hear that we might receive what he has to say today. Thank you. Father, thank you so very much for your love and goodness and grace to us. Thank you for life, and for health, for strength. Thank you for your loving care and protection as our Father. Thank you. Thank you. We give you the honor and praise today for all that we have, all that you have done for us, to us, and through us. Thank you for every trial. Thank you for every test. Thank you for every opportunity to learn to trust you and to learn to know that without you we can do nothing. Thank you for loving us enough to teach us that. I ask you, Father, that you would speak to us today. You would speak to us. Let the words that are spoken today be originated with a man or a man's intellect. But, Father, as you give me the sensitivity to hear, I receive your grace to hear and your grace to speak and I speak with the authority that you have delegated and not my own. I have no authority, but you are a God of authority, and I receive that today. Minister to us, Father. Prepare us to be a part of what you're doing in the earth, what you have promised to do in the earth. And I give you the thanks and the praise and the honor for this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Praise God. This is Call to War. Video briefing number 10. This is lesson number six in the uh, series. In the, as a part of the briefings, it's lesson number six on kingdom praying. And uh, two briefings ago, I started on the lesson, uh, The Power of Exercised Authority, and planned to teach one a briefing on that and it stretched to two and uh, as I followed the Holy Ghost and flowed with what he wanted to say uh, it's now stretched to a third lesson I don't regret this at all it's certainly I as I've said many times I just work here uh, it's his word it's his message it's his will and all I'm trying to do is find his will and do it find his flow and let him speak and so these things are so foundational they're so fundamentally important that the Lord wants us to get this because we cannot go where he wants us to go without it and uh, I'm not going to go into any great detail uh, today about the uh, the uh, direction he has given us for a week of spiritual warfare October 24th through 29th uh, around the world, a prayer chain by time zone. Uh, you can hear more about that at, in, by watching Call of War video briefing number one. You can find that at apostoliciron.com or you can go to YouTube and go to Apostolic Iron Channel. Uh, from the playlist, you select briefings and you can find it there. Uh, so I'm not going to go into big detail on that. If you'd like to read about it, 
uh, you can download the uh, PDF file uh, from apostoliciron.com entitled Battle Plan, and it will give you uh, the uh, synopsis overview of all the all the, the, the direction that we have here. Uh, again, I don't, I'm not trying to skip through this. I, I want to get into this lesson, and as we get into this lesson, if you're if you feel the Lord speaking to you and you have not watched any of the briefings before now, you haven't even heard about any of this, then uh, I'm believing that the Lord is going to at least give you enough curiosity, if not hunger, to go to Call to War video briefing number one and hear the entire overview of the direction given uh, hot off the press, so to speak. It was, uh, it was the very first time it was communicating. So uh, I'm encouraging you to do that. So today, again, this is Call to War video briefing number 10. It is the sixth lesson in the series in teaching us how to do kingdom praying. And this is the third attempt to finish uh, the subject of uh, the power of exercised authority. Uh, I'd like to start someplace here. It's actually not in my notes, but it's one of the most... Uh, uh, challenging passages to me over the years, and I feel like it's very, very uh, closely associated with uh, what God has directed us to do in Call to War and also Kingdom Praying. Uh, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is awakened out of sleep. So Zechariah wasn't asleep, but he was under such a heavy manifestation of the Spirit of God, he had to be quickened from that. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of all of gold, and a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And let me very quickly say, the word candlestick is not an accurate translation of this because a candlestick holds candles in the top of it, and that's not what this is. This is a lamp stand that is hollow and it's filled with oil, and a wick is put at the end of the opening, and the oil is burned for fuel, not the wax of a candle. And uh, this uh, lamp stand is found in the tabernacle first and then in the temple and then here and then in the book of revelation uh all of all the way through it is uh, indicative of the spirit of god manifesting himself and producing a manifestation of god's light and revelation to mankind and so <clears throat> the angel asked zachariah what do you see and he said uh as zachariah said i've looked behold a candlestick all of gold uh, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left. Why? Because the lamp stand burned olive oil, and so it had, uh, in this vision, the, the two olive trees represented a continual flow of oil into the entire lamp stand. And uh, verse 4, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? 
Verse 5, Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And the prophet said to the angel, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying. Now I want you to notice something. Because it wasn't time for this to come to pass. The angel did not answer the question, What this was. He only answered the question of how it was going to come to pass. This is the word of the Lord in Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Not by the size of the crowd, not by strength, human strength, ability, and intellect, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of heaven's armies. And then the angel made a proclamation. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. So whatever this mountain was, it was not of God. It was a major obstacle or hindrance uh, between Zerubbabel and him seeing what it was God wanted to do. And so the Lord said, Zerubbabel is going to have the authority and the power to make this great mountain into a plain, a flat area of no resistance. And he shall bring forth the headstone, not gravestone, the cornerstone, the headstone, uh, the, the uh, uh, keystone in what we would be thinking. The headstone is in, in an arch made out of stone in an opening, a doorway. The headstone or the keystone is the one in the middle that holds all those in place and gives that arch or that door strengthening, strength and stability. And he said, And he shall bring forth Zerubbabel, shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. So that's a kind of a hint what this is about because uh, John the Baptist said uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that grace, the law came by, was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So the grace of God in the New Testament context was not even available until Christ came. And so this is a prophecy of a future time. And the headstone that holds all of this together, that provides the the strength of the opening and the opportunity of the opening is going to be brought forth with shoutings and rejoicing and with people shouting grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the Lord of the, the, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, the temple of God. His hands also shall finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice. And she'll see the, pl- the, the, see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. These are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now, if there is a misquoted verse in my lifetime, verse number, uh, the beginning of verse number 10 is one of them. In fact, there have been very notable men of God who have written and publish things that completely, completely pervert what is actually said here. And you don't have to be a scholar 
You just have to read what it says. For who hath despised the day of small things? Now, I've heard it quoted, and it's not just a misquote, it's a perversion. Despise not the day of small things. It, it doesn't say that. There's no place in this verse that says that. There's no verse in the Bible that says, despise not the day of small things. In fact, this verse says exactly the opposite of despise not the day of small things. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they, they is a relative pronoun, it has to refer back to something as its subject. Well, the only thing that they can refer back to in this context is those who despise the day of small things. For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now, my wife and I came to Annapolis, Maryland, September the 12th, 1946. 46, that's when I was born. 1970. And uh, there was nobody here of our faith to greet us. There was no building. There was no church to assume the pastor of. Talk about small. Uh, there was two of us. She was 19, but she was raised in a preacher's home, a church planner's home. And uh, I had never, I, my dad wasn't a Christian and my mother wasn't saved. And I certainly wasn't raised in a preacher's home. And uh, I had never pastored, but I was sent here of God. And that's what the situation was. You talk about a small beginning. You talk about everything naturally in your mind that could could say, you, you, you got no business doing this. Uh, naturally speaking, we had no business doing this. But God said, come here. And almost immediately, we were here a little over a year before things really began to break, and God did all awesome, awesome things. And I don't have the time, and it's not the direction of the Lord to go into that testimony today. Because this isn't about Antioch, and it's not about Chester Wright, and it's not about what God's done here. But those things do give me confidence to teach this word. Uh I'm going to paraphrase this verse. Don't get satisfied with nothing happening. It's not a shame for nothing to be happening as long as it's not okay with you. As long as hunger and thirst is in you that's determined to seek God, to learn from the Word of God, and find out from God, not from some book by some preacher of some crowd that's been gathered through entertainment and uh, splash and pizzazz and personality. But you go, you, you're you hungry and you go to the book. What does the book say I'm supposed to do? How is this supposed to happen? That's how this church was built. Not from direction or words from uh, some how-to book, but from the, the book. I know it works. So, Going back to the original premise here, the Lord said, uh, or the angel said to Zerubbabel through Zechariah the prophet, "What do you, what do you see?" And I, I, I see, uh, uh, I see this candlestick, and I see these trees, and and uh, this candlestick is all of gold, and uh, you know, and and, and uh, I, I hear this voice saying, from through the prophet, not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I said earlier that this isn't for this time. Uh, I will demonstrate to you that it's not for this time because the first chapter of Revelation, John the Apostle has a vision. And he sees this vision of the Lord uh, that no one would take as being literal. I don't think he looked like the description. I think the description accentuated certain powers and authorities and abilities that he had and whatever. But the scripture says, uh, verse 12, I turned to see the voice of him that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. And he goes on to describe what the one like unto the Son of Man looked like. But then, at the end of that chapter, the, uh, the, the Lord speaks to John in verse 19, Write the things which thou hast seen. Well, I'll start with verse 18. And I... And I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, and the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest, are the seven churches. So, if the candlestick is the churches, and Christ was in the midst of the churches, or in the midst of the candlestick, then this has to tie back to Zechariah and what he saw. And when he was asked, what is this? And he said, I don't know. Then the angel said to Zechariah to say to Zerubbabel, not what it was, but how it was going to happen. And this is the only way it's going to happen. And anyone that uses any other method other than this is doing a false work. That's a strong statement, isn't it? Not my word. If, it, if those were the words of a man, they would be so full of ego and audacity that you would be wise to turn this video off right now. But they're not my words. I didn't write them. I'm just reading them and repeating them. Not by might. Uh, human strength and ability, intellect. Not by power. The size of the crowd. But by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. By my spirit. What does that mean? Well, we've been talking about that in the last two lessons, the last two briefings in regards to the subject of the power of exercised authority by my spirit. We talked about how faith works. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10:17, and hearing by the rhema of God, and the rhema of God is the logos of God, the forever settled logos of God quickened by the Spirit of God and spoken to us. And then we're supposed to hear that rhema and join with 
and in cooperation with God and speak the rhema in the earth because that's his plan today is for his people, his sons, his body to speak what the head tells them to say and do what the head tells them to do. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Well, what is, what's a frustrated grace of God? Well, the grace of God empowers me to do what I cannot do myself. Jesus said, John 15, 5, uh, Without me, you can do nothing. So Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God that which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God that activates in me and empowers me both to want to do what God, what pleases God, and to, he activates in me the ability to do that which pleases God. That's what the grace of God does. That's how the grace of God works in us. That's how we walk in the Spirit, by the grace of God. That's how we do anything we do, is by the grace of God. That's why we cannot claim that we have saved ourselves by any works that we do, because all true works are done by the, by the grace of God activating in us the, the direction to do and the ability to do what pleases God. So he gets all the glory. That's what grace is. And grace works through us to, to use the authority of God to do the work of God in the earth. We do not activate that ourselves. We do not initiate any of that. It's all done because the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, quickens in us. Logos turns it into rhema. We hear that rhema in our spirit, and then we speak that rhema. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 says, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore we speak. We believe, therefore we speak. Well, what does that mean? That means that authority is demonstrated or activated or utilized by speaking. Not by carrying a club around, hitting somebody upside the head, either physically or verbally, when they don't do what we tell them to do. Or by browbeating our wife or kids with verbally abusing them to make them do what we want them to do. That's not how authority works. Well, I'm the head of the family. I'll talk to them I want to. Well, you might do that, but it's not pleasing to God. He doesn't browbeat us. He doesn't abuse us. He speaks to us. He speaks to us out of love. If God is provoked to do anything more than that, it is by His righteousness and His holiness that has to respond to the fact that man totally disregards Him and all of His efforts to love them. And then man is the one who decides what happens to him even if he claims he doesn't. Because I'm given a choice, and if I make the wrong choice by my power to choose, then there are consequences to my choices. Good consequences to the right choices, bad consequences to the wrong choices. I can't blame that on God. That's all on me. But a believer believes the Word of God, 
and submits their choices to God. And God empowers them then to make the right choices and to do the right things. Well, that's, that's awesome when it comes to our salvation. But it goes way beyond there. That's exactly how it works for God to work through us individually as believers, sons of God, and collectively as the church, the body of Christ, uh, in the earth for God to be able to work and manifest himself. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, and you've heard this if you've watched the previous videos, Jesus answering said, Have faith in God. For really I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not dart in his heart, shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. But again, there is no way in this verse or in context or in the uh, in comparing Scripture to Scripture, that a person can initiate this saying. God initiates what he wants me to say. That's the spirit of faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema of God, Romans 10, 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 13, we have the same spirit of faith. I believe, therefore have I spoken. God initiates by speaking rhema to me. I hear it, I speak. If I believe God, and if I believe his rhema, then when I speak his rhema, I will have whatever I speak. Because God initiated it. He's just looking for somebody that will cooperate with him. Now, as we go ahead through this, uh, we talked about last uh, lesson or, or briefing that we, we talked about the fact that the Lord said, Ask me of things to come concerning my, as Isaiah 45, 11, concerning my sons and concerning the works of my hands command you me. This is such a critical principle to kingdom praying. That's why I have tried to flow with the Holy Ghost on this. And much to my surprise, I am now teaching the third uh, briefing on this subject. Because we have got to get this. We've got to get this. Why? Because God has chosen to manifest himself through the, in the earth through the church. Ephesians 3 and 20. For now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh or is activated in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. That's his plan. That's his direction. That's his purpose. He wants to make himself known in the earth by revealing himself through demonstrating and, and manifesting himself through the church. Well, if we're just praying need-based prayers, oh, God, give me this, God, fix this, I don't like this, change this, I'm hurting, take that away, I'm under pressure, take that away, uh, I'm just praying all this stuff for me. I'm never going to get to the place where God can use me to pray kingdom prayers, prayers that affect eternal destinations, in this life, therefore, prayers that affect eternity. Never going to get there. Never going to get there. But if I get there, God is going to manifest himself through me as a son of God and through the church of the living God. And I talked about that. We went all through this, uh, all through this, uh, this last session, all the different places in the book of Acts. Uh, and in the epistles where it talks about 
the, the apostles being used of God uh, to see signs and wonders and miracles and outpourings of the Holy Ghost happen, all to confirm the Word of God, to manifest God, to, uh, to uh, reveal the glory of God to mankind. And the problem is, as I said last lesson, is we preached an unconfirmed gospel because for the most part we don't see things happen. Why? What's wrong with the gospel? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with the gospel. What's wrong with our preaching? It's not our preaching, it's the problem. It's the prayer. It's what we do before and after we preach. It's what the church does before we preach to them and after we preach to them. We're supposed to take the Word and use the Word, speak the Word, act, activate the Word by speaking it. That's how Jesus did everything. That's how God uh, did everything. The God in Christ Jesus did everything by speaking the Word. Let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. Let there. He spoke. He spoke. That's how He created everything. He spoke. And that's God's method. His, that's the way He does. He's done things. And still does things. And will always do things. That's the power of His Word. When it's spoken. Now, I'm not talking about sermons. Great oratorical, eloquent sermons. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a heart that's heard a rhema from God. Logos quickened by the Spirit and spoken to my spirit. I believe that rhema's from God and I therefore speak it. I pray it. I speak it in prayer. That's what the Lord says. Uh, and so I concluded the last lesson talking about the manifestation of the sons of God. I, I want to pick up there because it's so important. Uh, Jesus spent essentially the first 30 years of his life being a carpenter. Much to some religious traditions, uh, in spite of some religious traditions, uh, there's no evidence that Jesus ever did anything to give anybody any a hint that he was the Messiah except his mother who was visited by an angel. There were some uh, wise men who came from far countries. There were some shepherds that had angelic visitation, and they came to where he was born. And uh, people marveled when he was debating the doctors of the law at age 12 in the temple. Nobody automatically thought that meant he was uh, the, the coming Messiah. We don't hear a thing about him from the time he's 12 till he's 30. He's working the carpenter shop. You could say he's actually obscure, anonymous. Nobody had a clue who he was. Why? Because he was waiting on God's timing, his father's timing. But there came a day when uh, the signal from the father came, and he walked out of that carpenter shop, locked the door for the last time, went down to the Jordan River where his cousin John the Baptist was baptizing and preaching, and he had John baptize him. And from that day forward, he all that he was and would be was manifested to Israel for three and a half years, and nobody in Israel uh, failed to know who he was. Uh, when Paul was standing before the Jewish king, who was a puppet of the Romans, 
uh, to defend himself after he'd been taken captive. He said, do you know about this? Oh, yeah, you know, because this wasn't done in a corner. In other words, everybody knew. Everybody knew. And everybody knew that uh, who the church was and what the church preached and practiced. They tried to kill him. Not, everybody knew, but that didn't mean everybody liked it or agreed with it. So they fought against it, but everybody knew. And when they went to preach different places, there was one occasion where they said, here comes the men that turned the world upside down. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know if I've ever heard that said about the church or any preacher in my lifetime. Anywhere. It may have been, but I haven't heard about it. So what is the difference? The difference is we're practicing our religion, our faith. Are we sincere? We sincerely are doing what we know to do. Is it working? It depends on what uh, criteria you use to judge that by. By the criteria of men, uh, most of us are nice people and we try to be uh, kind and obey the law and treat each other uh, positively and we try to live a good moral life and go to church faithfully and pay our tithes and uh, obey our pastor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that what he measured the early church by? Is that what the Bible measures us by? Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Know you not that you're reprobate unless you're in the faith? Well, in the faith, by whose definition of the faith? He told the crowd, Jesus did, told the crowd on the great day of the feast, John chapter 7, verse 37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of water. This spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive. The Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the point is just because you become a believer doesn't mean the word stops judging you. Doesn't mean the word stops being the criteria by which you determine Am I walking with God? Am I pleasing God? My pastor may be happy with me. The people of the church may think I'm the greatest person going. But the, the question is, according to the Bible, am I walking with God? Am I pleasing God? Am I doing what God purposed the church and his sons, his believers, to do? Am I doing that? Am I participating with the Lord? Am I cooperating with him? Or am I going through the motions uh, uh, that I know to do and I am praying, but when I pray, I'm praying need-based prayers. All of my prayers are about what I need. And on those days when I don't have a pressing need, I struggle to pray, right? That's what this is all about, right? No, it's not what it's all about. This is so far beyond me and my needs. So far beyond that. So far beyond you and your needs. I've been chosen, you've been chosen by God to be a part of his body so that we can be a conduit for him to work through. Oh, my, 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 my. Uh, Jeremiah is a very challenging book. Uh, if you would permit me a moment to get there. Uh, it says some things that are not very enjoyable to hear 
He says, uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 9, Wherefore I will plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children, well, excuse me, and with your children's children will I plead. Pass over the isles of Chittim and see, send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. In their minds, they were still the people of God. But they switched gods and didn't even know it. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate. For my, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Not one, two. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then skipping down to verse 32, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. How many marriages are broken up because two people abide in the same house, but they don't communicate. They don't have anything in common. They don't do anything together. They, they, they live in the same house. They may even occasionally sit at the same table. They may even, a miracle of miracles, uh, jointly share finances. But they have no relationship. They don't know each other. And, and in our day and time, uh, there is this situation called empty nest syndrome. So because people, people don't know each other, they build their whole relationship around their kids. And when the kids finally move out, and kids will move out, <laughs> hopefully that's the plan they move out, uh, then the two of you sitting there looking at each other, you don't know who that person sitting across the table from you is. And so many couples decide, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm too young to continue to do this. Well, i got a question. Does the Lord want to keep doing that? Does he want to keep showing up in church services with people that don't really know him? Are they a Christian? Oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I do this. We give all this long list of things that speak to our spiritual pedigree, but it's not our spiritual pedigree. It's our religious pedigree. But we don't know him. I was born in church. My mother was attending church when I was born. I was saved when I was 12. But when I went off to college, and there was no church of my faith to go to, I suddenly found out I, had, I didn't know God. I didn't have a relationship with God. I had a relationship with the church, but now here I am in a place where God has sent me, and I suddenly find out I don't have a God because I don't have a church. So I don't know where I'm going from here or whatever. Only by the goodness and grace of God did that turn out very positively because I understood i got to find God for me. i got to know God for myself. So here we are, and this is it, you see. <laughs> he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, 
in Samaria. Whoever drinks of the water out of this well is going to thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't know why there are three words there that were not translated, but in the in uh, in an linear of the Texas Receptus, which was the Greek text that the King James Version was translated from, you find three words. And uh, if they are translated, this what's that verse? This is what that verse would say: that he whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again for this world. But it shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. In other words, the person with this spiritual well in them doesn't have to do something to make it flow. We only drink from the flow that's supplied by God. In other words, that well makes us a conduit. Because that flow not only comes in there to quench our thirst, but it flow, comes in there to quench the thirst of all we come in contact with. That's the plan of God. But, 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 he said, my people have not only forsaken me the fountain of living water. That's bad enough. That's bad. Because if they'd have just done that, they would have eventually got thirsty and decided to return to him. Oh, but they, like the Tower of Babel builders, they found a way around that, you see. They went, they hewed them holes in a rock that are called cisterns. And instead of there being a well deep inside, a spring deep inside the well that supplies the water, you've got to pour water in the mouth of the cistern or there's no water in it. And so, uh, on the island of Bermuda, there are no wells. All their water comes from rain collected off roofs that flow down by pipes into cisterns. And that's where their fresh water comes from, for the most part. So, what happens when you don't have any water supply to put water in the cistern? Then you get thirsty. If it goes on long enough, you die of thirst. But, they didn't just build cisterns. Their cisterns were broken and could hold no water. Which meant they were the people of God, but they were empty most of the time. Not only were they unable to keep them their own thirst quenched, which means you're going to go to other sources to get your thirst quenched that are not of God, but they had nothing to give to anybody else either. This is what kingdom praying is about. They have a relationship with God such that the well of living water is abiding in you. And that the flow of that living water through you, transporting and communicating the rhema God gives you by His Spirit, the quickened logos, not only gives life to you, but gives life to those that you come in contact with and yield to the Father and do His will and allowing that to flow through you in prayer and in witness and preaching the gospel. But they didn't do that, you see. They forsook the Lord and came up with their own their own solution. They came up with their own solution. Is that really 
Is that really good enough for you? Is that really good enough for you? Again, God is a God of principles and patterns. By His own words teaching us, He revealed the condition of His people during His lifetime. They were following the traditions of the elders. And instead of them being harmless traditions, Jesus said of your traditions, both in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, that you've made the word of God of none effect in your life and you've made your worship vain. Is something harmless that takes the guts and the life and the power out of our faith? Is it harmless that makes us ineffective so that we're just broken cisterns and we have no life for ourselves or for anybody else? Is that, is that okay? Are we satisfied with that? Are we satisfied with that? So God being a God of principles and patterns, He concluded the Old Testament by the manifestation of the Son of God to the people of God. Jesus said, I, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was their Messiah, and they didn't recognize him for the most part. In fact, they crucified him because he was messing with their traditions. It wasn't the sinners that crucified Jesus. It wasn't the Romans. They were the instrument. It wasn't the Jews that crucified Jesus. It was religion and the religious and the people of God who were wholly given over to tradition doing things like they'd always done it, regardless of what the Bible says. Now, which side of that are you going to be on? Is life your goal, or is hollowness, emptiness, just putting in your time in another church service, putting in your time in another prayer meeting or time of prayer, putting your time just reading scriptures that you don't really love or hunger or care for. And God's plan was he concluded the Old Testament with the manifestation of the Son of God in a ministry so powerful that it got everybody's attention. Everybody had to make a decision. Not everybody was converted, but everybody knew and everybody had to make a decision. Jesus said, you're going to be hated of all men for my name's sake. Really? Most of the world doesn't hate us because they don't even know we exist. Can't hate what you don't even know exists, which has no impact on your life. You can't hate that. So if God's God principles and patterns, then he finishes the Old Testament with the manifestation of the Son of God, then is it possible he's going to conclude the New Testament with the manifestation of the sons of God. As Romans 8 says. And that God is going to bring us out of our carpenter shop. Where he's been working on us. Just like he was working on the son of God. Though he were a son. Hebrews 5 and 8. Though he were a son yet learned he obedience to the things which he suffered. 
So God worked on the Son of God, the man, Christ Jesus, in that carpenter shop. He's working on the church of the living God in our hypothetical carpenter shop of anonymity. But the day's coming. God is God, God's always true to His Word. He's always true to His patterns. To His principles. And He's going to manifest the sons of God before He winds all this up. Well, he's not going to manifest himself through the lovers of tradition. The lovers of tradition are going to be the ones that betray us to the authorities. That's what Jesus said. Your brother's going to deliver you up to be afflicted. Your relatives are going to turn you in. Why? Because they don't love truth. Truth isn't just doctrine. Truth is truth of how to have a relationship with Jesus, being a part of what Jesus called us to be. Well, this is strong stuff today. I, to be quite honest with you, I didn't plan to say any of this. But I'm hearing and repeating, the Lord's talking. I have no doubt you know the Lord's talking. You may not like what's being said. But if it wasn't God, you'd be able to just slough it off. You can turn the video off. But you're not going to be able to get away from these words if they're from God. You're going to be compelled to come back and punish yourself by listening to more of it. Because it's, if it's a man, turn it off, forget it all about it. You don't have to worry about me. I'm just a man. But if the words are from God, what are you going to do about them? What are you going to do? <laughs> Some don't believe the church needs to prepare with 21 days of prayer, fasting, and repentance as the Lord has called us to do. And you can hear all about that in video briefing 1 and 3 as the Lord talks to us about that. But we got some repenting to do, for folks, because God has purposed in His plan to manifest Himself in the earth through His sons like He did through the Son of God. Are we able to do that? Are we positioned to be able to do that? Do we have a relationship with God, a knowledge of God, a knowledge of the things and the ways of God enough to be able to do that? But we need to do some repenting. We need to do some repenting. We need to do some repenting. The question is, will we? I don't know. I am. I, I've already begun. And it's not October the 4th yet. Uh, but I am. I want to. I want to repent. I want to obey God. I want to do His will. I want to please Him. I want to walk with Him. Paul said, if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said, if we walk with Him, we should live in the Spirit. I want to live in the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. And the verse I started in Romans 8 with, Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Don't study that verse in other translations. You might not like what it says because most of them are stronger than the King James in their statements. For instance, only those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Well, you read enough of them, you'll see that most of them say something along that line somewhere or other. Because it's true. It's not enough to follow the tenets of religion. 
got to have a relationship with God. I got to walk in His Spirit, live in His Spirit. I got to be led of His Spirit. That's the will of God. That's what the plan is. I've been given this well of living water, and it not only satisfies my soul, but it, there's such an abundance because Paul, Jesus said to those at the, at the feast, He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Are those rivers going to flow out of me as a conduit of God so that everybody will think I'm the coolest dude going? Man, he's really something else. No, no, no. Paul said, ye are dead and your lives are hid with Christ and God. The purpose is that you would not hear me, that you would not see me. The goal is for you to hear only what God says. That when you turn this video off, you don't even remember what I look like. You don't even remember what my voice sounds like. But you've heard God speak into your spirit. That's the goal. Why? Because it is written, I have believed, therefore I've spoken. Therefore we believe, therefore we speak. That's faith. That's the spirit of faith. And when I speak the rhema of God, I'm releasing the authority of God to work in whatever situation I'm speaking rhema toward. When it says, when Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Greek is very literal there, and the Amplified Version brings out that out, and Weiss Expanded Translation is another one that brings that out. It's, it's literally this. Whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. As I've said in these previous briefings, and I'm saying it again today, I don't initiate that, but I have this flow in me. I have this well in me. I have this flow. And this flow is not only quenching my thirst, it's flowing out of me in rivers of living water. And how does that flow? Well, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Because the Greek word translated flow in John seven thirty eight is the word E-R-E-O, which is the strengthened form of the verb R-H-E-O, which is the root word of R-H-E-M-A, rhema. And the word, the suffix ma on the end of a Greek word means basically the result of. So rhema is the result of reo. The strengthened form is ereo, which is the speaker say, or so much, so much liberty to speaker say it, it is a flow. So when Jesus said, he that believeth on me is a scripture, I said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water whether in a brand new language as the Spirit prays through me, or whether I am praying in my language. Paul said, I will pray in my, in, uh, in, in, uh, uh, with my understanding. I'll pray with the Spirit also. I'll sing with the Spirit, sing with the understanding also. He said, when I, when I pray in an unknown tongue, unknown tongue, my spirit prays. My understanding is unfruitful. The Greek word there is unproductive in the sense that there's nothing that's being prayed through me. My mind is producing. Well, who's producing it then? The Spirit's producing it. That's why 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, uh, when I pray in an unknown tongue, uh, no man understands it. Because I'm in the Spirit, I'm speaking mysteries. The Greek word there is musterian, 
which means secrets, not that which can't be comprehended, but that which is secret. So the Spirit of God is activating in me the ability to pray, and I'm praying the secrets of my heart. Well, I don't know what they are. It doesn't matter. The principles of God are fulfilled. The Word of God's fulfilled when I when He quickens me and enables me to pray those things, and they happen. They happen. That's why praying in the Spirit is such an important part of exercising the authority of God. Because when I'm praying in my language, I'm praying with my faith. When I'm praying in the Spirit and the Lord is praying through me, I'm praying with His faith. I'm supposed to do both of those, Paul said. I'm supposed to do both of those. The bottom line is, it's the Word has got to be spoken to be activated. And frankly, <laughs> there are some things that God says that are so important, and He prays, has, prays through me about that's so important, that he doesn't risk those things not happening because of my limited faith. He prays those with his faith. And my faith is simply yielding to him and trusting him to pray and believing that he is praying. That's the only faith I have to have. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So I'm letting him pray and his word is activated and it's not limited by my faith. Now I still need to pray in my language. And that's what I've been talking about in uh, these last two briefings especially. Actually, the last three briefings have been specifically about praying, praying the Word, praying the, the quickened logos that, that is rhema, releasing that creative Word, that Word of authority to come to pass in the earth. That's kingdom praying. Now, I, I believe that in the uh, next two briefings, I, 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 I'm going to be allowed to go into the specifics that Jesus taught us to pray and to say when we pray. Uh, but if it doesn't happen, that's his business. I just, I'm just going to do whatever he says do. The, the, the bottom line with all of this is, uh, I don't belong to me. I belong to him. I'm his... I'm the, the housing for his well, and my job, my place in him is to allow his living water to not only flow and quench my thirst, but flow through me in rivers that will quench the thirst, the thirst of others. And those rivers flow by words being spoken, whether my words or the words of the Spirit, both are important, both are necessary. And uh, I do both of those, and I believe in both of those, and I've seen the results of both of those many times over my life. Uh, and I believe in it very, very strongly, and so I need to do that. Now, of course, there's a lot of places, even those who believe in speaking in tongues, that don't do much of that because they think that's excessive, except if I'm going to choose their example or the Bible example, I'm going to choose the Bible because Paul said to the Corinthians, who some believe were so carnal because they spoke in tongues so much, Paul said to them, I think I think." My God, I speak with tongues more than you all. So if Paul said he spoke in tongues more than the Corinthians and he was Paul, then he's my example, not those who say, oh, be careful, you're speaking in tongues too much. No, you need to be careful. You're not speaking in tongues near enough. So the principle works whether I'm doing it specifically the Spirit empowering me to pray in my natural language, my mental language, or if I'm 
the Spirit is enabling me to yield to Him and prompting me to yield to Him for Him to be praying it out of my spirit in His language. The language of His choosing. Whether it's a language of earth or a language of heaven, that's His business and I don't know what I'm saying. But I know that I'm obeying the Word of God and I know the principles being satisfied and I know He's working whichever way He chooses. I, I want to abide by that. Why? Because... Whoever is yielded to, whoever the source of the words are, is the one who gets the glory. If God is the source of my words in speaking in English, uh, or speaking to you, or uh, praying, or whatever, then whether I'm whether it's in my language of my mind or in the language of the spirit, He gets all the credit. If I'm the source of all that, and my intellect is the source of all this, and all this came out of my intellect, and I studied all this and figured all this out, then you, you better find some way to pat me on the back, because I've done pretty good, huh? Because that's all I'll get to. Your patting on the back is the only reward I'm getting. I will not hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because I'm not going to go to heaven because I have impressed people. I'm going to be, go to heaven because I believed in him and pleased him. Period. So, trying to wind this up here on this lesson. And if you know me, you know winding up doesn't mean the next two minutes. Uh, just to close out this lesson. Um, again, the Lord manifests himself through his sons, through his body. He does this by sending his servants to speak his word in prayer or speak his word in ministry. That's what enables the Lord to be manifest in the earth. Again, Matthew 8 and 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Psalms 107 and verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Psalms 147 and 15, He sendeth forth His commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He sendeth out His word, and melteth them. He causeth His wind to blow, and the waters to flow. He showeth His word unto Jacob, and His statutes and His judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Job 37, 12, And it is turned around about his counsels, that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world in the earth. In earth, He sent his word. He, when we speak his word, the spirit takes that word and sends it to where it needs, takes it to where it needs to be. And that word is activated and becomes whatever that logos quickened by Rhema from God is. It doesn't, it's not done because I said it. The, the power is the word. But when the word is, has to be released by being believed and spoken, that releases the word to come to pass. That's how the Lord activated his word before man was involved with his plan, and now that man is involved in his plan, he's not going to do it any other way except by using the agency of man. Now, we'll get into that probably the next briefing uh, as we continue with kingdom praying. But why would he say to us, uh, 
pray or say, Our Father which art in heaven, and I'm not repeating the words, but I'm only trying to get to the point. Uh, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God needs me to pray for his will as it's purposed in heaven to be done in the earth? God? Yes. If I limited God like that, that would be gross sin. But God has the authority to limit himself where he only works through whatever agency he chooses. Well, what does he do if that agency refuses to cooperate? Then what he wants to do doesn't get done because he has limited himself. And if he violates his own plan, he ceases to be God because he can't lie and he can't change. I am the Lord, I change not, he said in the Old Testament. New Testament, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean? He's got to find somebody that will believe him and somebody that will cooperate, participate, and allow him to flow through them. If that's not you, then he's going to find somebody else. If it's not me, then he's going to find somebody else. But he's going to find somebody to fulfill his plan through because he has, by his own choice and plan, limited himself to speak his word in the earth through human agency. God sent an angel to Cornelius to tell Cornelius to go get Peter so Peter could come preach to Cornelius. Hey, what's that all about? Can't God preach himself? Can't angels preach? No. No, they can't. They can deliver a message from God to those who are gods, but belong to God. But they can't preach the gospel. They can't. They can't speak words of faith and them activate the earth. They don't have that authority except specifically in situations as given to them by God. That's the church's role. That's the sons of God role. That's our role. That's our place. What if we don't do it? What a, Shall the unbelief of some make the faith of God without effect? No. Let God be true and every man a liar. God's going to find somebody that will let him use them. The question is, is it going, is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? Or are we going to bypass this? Are we going to let this slip? In Hebrews chapter 2, when he said, uh, there were those that would... that let this gospel slip. That word slip means to slip by like something in the water passing by you. And you see it, you could have grabbed it, but you let it go by. Now you can still see it, but you can't reach it anymore. Just let it slip. Just just didn't give it the priority you needed to when it was available. Because if you think God is going to operate by our time schedule, by what's convenient to us. That's what the king said to Paul. You know, you've, you've almost persuaded me, Paul. I'll have you come back and talk to me when it's more convenient. It never happened. Because if you're looking for a time and place that's convenient in your lifetime, in your schedule, for you, it's never going to be there. 
There's a price to pay. And the price is paid by the flesh being told no. And the spirit being told yes. And the flesh and the spirit are never going to want the same thing for the same reasons. And with God, it's not just enough to want what he wants. i got to want it for the reasons he wants it. Isaiah 55 and 11 says, So shall my word, excuse me, verse 10. No, I'm going to read it all. Isaiah 55 verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, uh, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and turneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower. And bread to the either, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. How? Because he finds somebody to go speak his word. That's how he sends it. That's how he sends it. Uh, Isaiah 45, for time's sake, I'm only going to read verse 23. The whole chapter is great if you have the time and are interested. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. That's going forth. Hey, guess what? Philippians chapter 2 agrees with it. That's exactly what Paul said. The Lord gave to Christ... A name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, the self-revelation, self-manifestation of God the Father. Amen. Now, how does this hearing and repeating work? Well, let's hear it. John chapter 16, verse 12 Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot hear it, bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Listen, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he, the Spirit, shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Whoa. Did you hear that? He's talking about the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit. Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of God. Spirit of the Father. Spirit was in the Son. There's only one Spirit, so all of those are the same. And when the Spirit of the Lord comes into us, <laughs> that portion of the Spirit of God is not going to talk to us directly. It becomes the conduit, the agency, by which God speaks to us because the Spirit hears what God is saying. Oh, you're making a third person out of it. No, I'm not at all. I'm just reading what Jesus said. This is the function of this part of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. That part of the Spirit of God is not independent of God. But it becomes... The agency. Peter said it this way, we're made a partaker of the divine nature. We've only got a part, a portion. 
We've been made a partaker of the Spirit of God. God is a Spirit, Jesus said. So we're a partaker of the Spirit of God. That Spirit of God abides in us. That becomes the agency whereby God speaks through the Spirit to us. Jesus confirmed this. Uh, John fourteen sixteen, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So who is this one that's coming to be in us? The Spirit a portion of, or the spirit that was in the body of the man Christ Jesus, is the spirit that comes into us. Oh, but listen to this. Matthew chapter 10, 19. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So the Spirit of my Father, which Jesus said, I was with you, I'm going to be in you, in John chapter uh, 14, verse 18. And he said that that portion of the Spirit that's in you is going to hear and tell you of me and mine, and you're going to speak that. And then when they deliver you up to be afflicted, and, and you're standing before authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say. Because in that same hour, you'll be given what to speak, for it is not ye that speak, Matthew 10, 20, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So the Spirit of the Father speaks in me, and then I speak what the Father given me to say. That's how I know I'll know what I'm going to say. The apostles in the early church exercised the Lord's authority. Are we? Oh, do we have the Spirit of faith? Are we hearing the rhema of God and believing it and speaking it as the operation of faith? For instance, also in John 14, Jesus, verse 9, Jesus saith unto them, Have I been so long time with you, yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father? And the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. What, would he do? what did he just say? Believest thou not that I, verse 10, believest thou not that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself or by my own ability, they're not my words, but the Father that dwelleth in me. Oh, listen to what he says. He doeth the works. Why would he say that? He's talking about say what he's saying. The words that I speak unto you, the rhema that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Oh, so Jesus directly connected words and works. In other words, if he speaks what the Father gives him to say, then the Father's going to do the works through him that the words activate. Let's see. Verse 11, Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very word's sake. Uh-uh. No, it doesn't say that. 
It's a K there, not a D. For the very work's sake. And then he says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. But how do we practice it? Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the words that I say, shall he say also, and greater words than these shall he say, because I go to my Father. Words without works. Words that produce no works. How often is that happening in prayer and in ministry? Speaking words that produce no works. Ah, oh, Jesus said, he that believeth on me. So it's a matter of faith. If I hear words and speak them and works are produced, let's go backwards. No works, then the words I'm speaking didn't come from God. Or I heard words from God that I refused to speak. But I still want to claim I believe. I didn't write it. I didn't write it. I'm not trying to avoid anything, but I, I don't take responsibility for that. I didn't write it. And you know what? I don't believe the Lord is senile. I believe he says, I, I believe he has the ability to say what he means. And I believe he means what he says. But our problem is we don't like it when it contradicts or reveals something in us that we don't want to hear. I'm going to kind of try to close out this with this thought. Kingdom praying includes the principle of praying the word. We're not only to preach the word, but we are to pray the word or speak the word in prayer. For instance, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, Let us therefore labor, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the King James says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and the spirit of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Amplified, the original Amplified version says, Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter the, that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing asunder, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath and of the... Of the, and of the <laughs> penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed and naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 
If you'd permit me, I'm going to read one more Weiss expanded translation of the New Testament. Let us give diligence, therefore, to enter that rest, lest anyone fall in the same example of disobedience. For actively alive is the word of God, and energetic and sharper than any two-edged sword, going through even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a sifter and analyzer of the reflections and conceptions of the heart. And there is not a thing created which is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and laid bare before him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is active. It's alive. But is it? Just like some quench the spirit or some killing the word. We do know you can preach the word without spirit and it brings death because the word without the spirit kills. It takes the word with the spirit to give life. What if we're not yielding to the Spirit? What if we're not responding to God to speak His Word so that it can be alive and active, operating to dividing to the the spiritual part of a man to make the division there that should be and to the natural part of man to make the divisions there that should be and to know the motives of our heart and the intents of our heart. What if we're not doing that? What if that's not happening? What if it's not happening? What do we do? Well, the first thing we're going to have to do is repent. We're going to have to repent. And we're going to have to be restored. And if we've never had a relationship with the Lord where He flowed through us in the Spirit... There's nothing to be restored to except the first time it ever happened when you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. But some have never practiced that again and some don't even believe it's important or necessary. And so there's no yieldedness and there's no flow and it's all done intellectually and emotionally. And intellect and emotion are very poor substitutes for revelation and authority manifested producing power. Very, in fact, they're really no substitute at all, even though they are frequently substituted in this world. Intellect and emotionalism is substituted for the spirit and the demonstration of the power of God. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. I came to you not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I know it's not very important, is it? <laughs> Forgive my sarcasm, but it's not very important. It is just the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of the Gentiles, who said, follow me as I follow Christ. And the Greek word there is imitate me as I imitate Christ. So whatever you see in me, I learned that from Christ. I'm, I'm saying to you, you need to do what I do because I learned this from Christ. 
This is Christ's way of doing it. That's the way I do it. And I'm saying to you, you should do this the way I do it. And that's how he did it. He didn't come with intellectualism. He didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom. He didn't come with his arguments and his eloquence to persuade men. He didn't come with that. He didn't, that's not the method he used. He spoke the word God gave him to say and trusted that God was going to demonstrate that, reveal that, manifest himself through, through confirmed word, confirming the words with signs and wonders following. And yes, we look for things that are spectacular. The miraculous and the spectacular are not necessarily synonymous. They're not. Just like the supernatural and the mysterious or the mystical are not synonymous. We're not seeking for the mysterious and the mystical. We're seeking to fellowship with God because God is a spirit. You can't fellowship with God without fellowship with the supernatural. You can't believe in God without believing in the supernatural. You can't pray to God without participating in supernatural praying because God's a spirit. He's supernatural. And so it is with the word. The word emanated from the spirit. The word is the expression of the spirit. Logos came from the I am. The, the logos is the I am, the mind of the I am. And then that logos activated when God spoke, created everything. He still does. Responsible for all that. So, what are we going to do? This does conclude. <laughs> Unless the Lord adds anything to this lesson between now and when I teach the next briefing, this does conclude the foundational teaching to kingdom praying. We will get into the details and the specifics of actually what kingdom praying is and how to pray kingdom prayer beginning with the next briefing. I pray that the, you've let the Holy Ghost talk to you. I pray that you've let the Word of God find a, a lodging place in your heart. Uh, I pray that I have not sown seed on fallow ground that has never been plowed up and broken. You see, you can't, you can't reap a harvest from seed sown on ground that is unbroken ground. Unbroken hearts don't produce a harvest. When the ground of our hearts, the fallow ground of our hearts, is not broken up by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, then there's no lodging place for the Word. And so the fowls of the air come and eat that seed of the Word before it can germinate and produce anything. In Jesus' name I pray that you are hearing this and that God has or is in the process of breaking up your fallow ground, the hardened areas of your heart so that the Word of God can find a lodging place and between you and Him, because I'm not involved. I don't know who you are. <laughs> I don't know where you live. So this is, I, I'm talking to you, but I don't know who you are. You see my face, I don't see your face. So I like it like that because this is between you and Jesus. 
This is between you and Jesus. Leave me out of this. Just an instrument, just a vessel, just a conduit. The words and the Spirit are from God. And you will decide what you're going to do with this. You and Him are going to have communication about this. And you'll make a decision. And you're either going to say, Not my will, but thine be done, Father, whatever it costs me. Here I am. Take me. Do with me as you choose. Or you will say, No. And like the rich young ruler, you'll walk away because you got too much to lose. I'm going to close with this. I was preaching in the Copper Belt of Zambia, part of a crusade back in the 90s. And uh, we had a lot of people that came there to these services from not only from the cities, but from the villages. There were so many people, and uh, I preached and gave an altar call. And they packed down front. They were so packed you couldn't get off the platform and get among them and praying without really pressing your way there. And so there was no way to take somebody with me to interpret what I was going to say or pray with people. And so I, uh, I stayed on the platform, and there was a brother assigned to, he was not only my interpreter when I preached, but he was my interpreter, translator, when I was praying with people and telling them what I was encouraging them to do or, or pray. And uh, just to the right of the platform, there was an older lady. I don't know how old she was. It would have been possible for me to guess. I didn't live in her culture, so would have no idea the effect of her culture in aging her. She could have been 30, I doubt that, but she could have been 70. I don't know either way. And, but I, I was drawn to her and prayed with her, and I said some things to her out of the Word of God and the the preacher that was there helping me said some things to her. And then all of a sudden, her hands were in the air and her eyes were closed and she said, Take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. Now, I'd been to Zambia a few times and I'd been in Zambia several days on that trip and there were no Zambians I knew that spoke English without an accent. And... This lady was speaking these words in perfect American English. It wasn't even, it wasn't regionalized. I, I'm listening to it. I didn't hear any Boston accent, no Southern accent, no New York accent, no Western accent, no Texas accent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was just pure American accent without any regional flavor to it. And I'm listening to this. Take me, I'm yours. She just kept saying it. Take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. And I finally looked at the translator and his eyes were about this big. And, and I said, uh, does this lady speak English? He said, oh, no, brother. This lady has never been out of her village in her entire life. And her village only speaks our native language. She's never even heard English till today. I said, then, that means she's speaking in tongues and doesn't know what she's saying in her mind. He said, oh, yes, brother. That's exactly what that means. But ever since that day, 
ever since that day. Many times when I pray, something just rises up in me. And I say under the unction of the Spirit of God, what I felt when she was saying that. And I'll, sometimes I'll just pray her prayer that she didn't even know what she was saying, but I did. Take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. So my dear friend, I'm asking you today, can you pray her prayer? I mean it. In Jesus' name, I pray that you can. Hopefully, I'll see you next briefing. Father, I'm so thankful for this opportunity. I'm so thankful for your spirit I feel right now. I'm so thankful that you love me enough to answer that prayer even though I didn't have the privilege to say it in some foreign language that I know of, that I didn't understand. I'm so thankful that you've inspired me to pray that same prayer. Take me, Father, I'm yours. No limit, no conditions, no stipulations. Just here I am, take me. Take me, I'm yours. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I lose the Spirit of God and the Word of God upon every person that's listening, watching this briefing right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I lose the Spirit of God to work in their hearts and minds and cause an answering. As you said today, as David said to you, Lord, when you said, Seek my face, he said, my spirit said, I said, thy face, O Lord, will I speak. I pray right now there's an answering in your spirit from those that are listening to this briefing. They will hear the words in their spirit and say them and mean them with all their heart. Father, take me. I'm yours. Take me. I'm yours, Father. I thank you, Father. I glorify you, Father. Take us, take us as your sons, take us as your bride, take us as your body and make us fully and completely yours that you might totally and com fully complete your will and your word in the earth. It is so, let it be so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.